Solis Nua is the Irish for New Light. And when we were setting up the organisation, we wanted to have something in Irish, first of all, but we also wanted something that was somewhat aspirational, but also reflective of the way the arts community uh, was working at that time. And New Light for me was fitting because... uh, so many of the artists were still building on the heritage we have. I mean, Ireland has a, a long, deep, mythic heritage that we have visited again and again over the centuries. And I think that there can sometimes be a perception that the current generation is unaware of that. And I don't think that's the case at all. But I do think that they shed new light on our old history and move it forward at the same time. And so that's why we came up with the name. That's Linda Murray. She's the artistic director of Solus Nua, which is the only contemporary Irish arts organization in the United States. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. Based in Washington, D.C., Solus Nua brings new artistic talent from Ireland to U.S. audiences. Since its beginning in 2004, it's presented a wide range of programming, including a full theater season, visual art exhibitions, an Irish film festival, and literary events, including the Irish Writers' Festival and Irish Book Day. Linda Murray is one of the founders of Solus Nua. So I began my conversation with her by asking what compelled her to begin the organization, why she thought it was important to present contemporary Irish art to American audiences. I think Irish arts are important, particularly for America, given the large Irish-American community that still considers Irish culture part of their overall identity and who they are. And as to why I specifically decided to set up an organization that was about contemporary Irish arts, I felt that Americans in general have an amazing knowledge about Ireland, quite surprising um, and impressive. But I I felt that there was sort of a a knowledge drop off around 1950 that occurred and that there was really nobody out there who was promoting this current generation of Irish artists. And Ireland has changed significantly in the last 20 years but over the course of the last 50 years and and the art has moved with it and reflects those times so I think it's a way in to what Ireland is about nowadays and it's also it's just another window into the world I, I, I think DC is a great place particularly to have an Irish arts organization because it's just such an international city and there are so many other countries here that have their like they have, there's the French Film Festival, the Polish Film Festival. There's a wide variety of countries that represent themselves here in Washington as a window into or as a gateway rather to the rest of America. And so I decided to stake my little claim for Ireland here as well. Well, tell me something. Tell me some of the preconceptions that you think Americans might bring to <laughs> Irish culture. Uh, Well, I think there's still a sense that we're a predominantly rural country. um, And there is beautiful rural landscape in Ireland. And please go visit it. It's gorgeous. Um, (laughs) But that's that's not how most Irish people live anymore. Most of us live in cities. Over a quarter of the population of the country lives in Dublin or Dublin's suburban area. So most people are living an urban life. We're also an incredibly technologically educated workforce. So, I mean, a lot of the IT centres for Europe would be in Ireland. So it, it goes contrary to this notion of an agricultural country 
country. So the the day to day life that people are living in Ireland is very different to the life I think people assume we're living, um, and consequently our our outlook into the world is very different to the way people would assume it to be. I think as a a little country we're forced to be outward looking and global all the time. And yet, in my my conversations sometimes with Americans, I think their perception would be that I was quite insular coming from Ireland and that I would be, you know, easily shocked by things. Uh, but I, I grew up in, in North Dublin, so that's that's not at all the case. So I, I, I feel more at home in a, in a New York than I do out in the wilds. Well, and Ireland also is going through a very interesting process of reclaiming its language working on reclaiming Irish, which had been forbidden. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the interesting things that happened under the Celtic Tiger and under that urbanization that I was just talking about is, ironically, I guess, things that we had hidden about ourselves or sort of felt a little bit ashamed of. Like, there used to be almost an embarrassment about the Irish language. Like, it wasn't something people particularly like to own up to being able to speak. But now you have this generation of 20-somethings and teenagers who are quite open and forceful about their passion for the Irish language and there's now a national Irish language television station which has excellent programming which has really helped promote the the Irish language. So I I think one of the great things that did come out of the Celtic Tiger was we sort of took ownership of our culture and our, our heritage and started to feel like no this is something to be proud of this is something that we can actually build and grow and and it's something that we can tell the rest of the world about. We have these amazing ancient mythological cycles but if somebody had ever said in the 1970s that it was on a par with Roman or Greek mythology people at home would have gone no, 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 not at all. And now we do. Now we sort of recognise that as equal to Irish as a language is um, as old as Latin and Greek. You know, It's one of the really ancient languages and our culture goes all the way back to that and I think the Celtic Tiger for all the bad it brought about, it, it certainly helped us take ownership of our identity. Um, and I think it was a really exciting time for, for the people in general and for artists in terms of like what that acceptance of, of our heritage was meant for moving forward. Explain what the Celtic Tiger is. So the Celtic Tiger was, um, <laughs> um, it now seems like a, a bit of a dream. And, and I have to say, I mean, artists say this all the time. Irish artists say Celtic Tiger, I never saw it. But for, for most of the people living in Ireland, the Celtic Tiger was a period in the 1990s and into the early 2000s when the country suddenly became affluent. It was a combination of those IT centres coming up in Ireland, the housing market starting to do very well, lots of uh, people moving in from different countries. So there was a, you know, there, there was an affluent workforce, and and the econ- we became one of the wealthiest countries in Europe. Which, um, and we got this newfound wealth very very fast, and lost it just as quickly um, with the kind of the global downturn that came about in two thousand and eight. So we had this very short period of having amazing wealth, and it had great consequences and and terrible consequences for the country. And I think artists are trying to grapple very they were trying to grapple during the Celtic Tiger with whether this was necessarily a good thing and I think now they're certainly trying to grapple with the aftermath of of having had money and then losing it again and and what that means for us um, as a nation. Give me a sense of the first year of Solus Nua. (laughs) Um, Well the first year was very much on a event to event basis. I started the organisation 
mainly because Irish Theatre magazine asked me to write an article when I first moved over here about the state of Irish plays in America and particularly in the nation's capital. And they, they wanted me to specifically sort of focus on current playwrights who are out there. And when I went looking, I didn't really find any uh, productions that were going on, which got me thinking, why weren't a certain generation of writers being represented over here? Uh, Writers that I really admired and was passionate about. One of them in particular was Enda Walsh, whose play Disco Pigs became our very first production. And so after much hemming and hawing about whether we should start the organisation or not, I said, well, look, we'll do Disco Pigs. And if everybody hates Disco Pigs, that's fine. At least I got Disco Pigs out there and Enda Walsh, you know, was produced in America and that's that'll be enough for me. And if they do like it for any reason, well, we'll just take it from there. Um, and Disco Pigs is a fairly impenetrable play in retrospect. It's written in an imagined language that's based on Cork slang. Um, so even an Irish audience really only grabs about 70% of the, the actual language as it's flying by. So for an American audience, God love them, with, you know, Cork slang and then an imagined language written on top of it, I think about 30% of the actual language makes sense on the first sit-through. This is Disco Pigs, and who's the author? It's by Enda Walsh, and the actors in the scene are Rex Doherty and Madeline Carr. That's the big blue there. All that water, huh? It's all yours, right? Mine, please. I got a big bag in me flop that I can lash it into. Big open space. And just we stand here. Like two specks of dust on a telly, eh, girl? <sighs> so calm, let me. The sea dance off slow. To down. Off slow again. Beautiful, Top of the world, isn't it? To Enda Walsh's credit, it's a tribute to what a great writer he is. The actual music of how the language sounds conveys emotions on a really a very clear level. So I had a lot of Americans come up to me saying, I had no idea what it was about, but I understood everything. And we got very lucky. Uh, the Post gave it an amazing review and we got great reviews across the board for it. And so... We did another show and another show. That was an example of theater, but you cast quite a wide net. You also do visual arts, you do film, you do music, you do literature. Let's talk about some of the visual arts projects that you present. Sure. We do a full season of visual arts as well. So we've had Bart O'Reilly, who's a really beautiful painter from Dublin, and then we've had people like Nevin Laharge, who are mainly installation artists. And most recently we had uh, Susanna Vaughan at the Flashpoint Gallery, and she's a, a sculptor. Coming up next will be Fiona Hallinan, and she'll be in with us in June at uh, Fathom Creative and Fiona's really interesting. Um, she's also an installation artist, but she also works a lot with soundscaping. 
in her installations and she sees herself as a sort of a direct descendant of the Shanachie. And the Shanachie in, in Irish society is the storyteller and it's a very revered person. And there still are Shanachies out in the country and they're sort of like, I suppose, troubadours or bards and they used to be under the patronage of the chieftains and they would travel from village to village and tell stories and this is sort of where our oral tradition comes from and this is how our stories were handed down from generation to generation. I think Fiona is really, really interested in that sense of collecting stories and and moving them forward. And so she does this with a combination of music, but also oral accounts. And then her actual installations tend to be made up of objects, like everyday objects that have special significance that people can touch or feel. So it might be buttons, because buttons are tiny little everyday objects, but the right button can trigger a whole host of memories about your mother or something like that. So her installations tend to be built on those like personal histories and stories. We're actually going to hear a soundscape from Fiona Halliman. Yeah, so this particular soundscape is um, part of a project that she did. She was one of several artists, in, artists involved in it where Dublin Corporation asked them to make a soundscape for the city. And you can actually do, do this as part of a walking tour of Dublin. There are little stations around the city, if you're ever in Dublin, where you'll see like headphones and you can just listen to them and they mean something about a particular place or maybe they're just about evoking a mood of a particular place. So Fiona was asked to be one of the contributing artists on that um, and so this is a small section from that piece for her. At the end of this laneway you will be turning right onto a street called Liffey Street. Having spent more than 30 years getting used to being outside, now I'm a man, learning my limits. I had the warm body in bed beside me once, had boiled egg shell cracked for me and buttered soldiers to dip in yellow yolk. I grew into a man, up past light switches. First hairs grew, second teeth. I felt bones break inside me. Now I brace myself before the cold sheets. I lead city life. Once I had a first time for everything, and now it's the turn of everything to be first. I have routine, usuals and regulars. I cut paths through the crowd with eye contact. I am quick to make decisions and impatient for the choices of others. I once ignored dogs barking in the distance, the chorus of the suburbs. Now it feels all too close. Real foxes are creeping up. Wish I could stay in certain moments for longer, but not forever. You also have a lot of programs that deal with literature, including the D.C. Irish Writers Festival. Tell us about that. Well, we've had literature as part of our programming since the beginning, um, and we've done this event called Irish Book Day every single year where we hand out books for free at the Metro Stops. And actually, it's going to New York as well for the first time with our partners, the Irish Arts Centre. On what day? On St. Patrick's Day. It's my way of forgoing green beer and um, trying to represent my, my country in a way that I feel is a little more positive. Um, so I think it, I think giving away our literature for free is a good way to demonstrate generosity of spirit, but also the wealth of talent that we have available in Ireland. So we, we've always had writers sort of come in and out and, and such was the popularity every time we had an author come in and do a reading that we eventually decided to turn it into a festival. So for the last two years we've run the DC Irish Writers Festival and I try very hard with the festival to make sure that I am introducing writers who probably aren't even published in the US. Some of them are but most of them aren't because again I think there is an awareness for a Colin McCann or a John 
Sean Banville um, or a Colm Tobin, you know, if they've won a major award in America or something that, that resonates, like the National Book Award with Colin McCann. But there's an amazing collection of young writers in Ireland at the moment, um, most of them not published in the US. And so for us, the, the festival is very much about focusing on that. So we, we had in quite an array of people. We had a blogger in, a sweary lady, who writes these really fantastic essays on, on sort of social and political issues. We had Declan Mead, who's the editor of The Stinging Fly, which is Ireland's top literary journal, and he's really responsible for finding a lot of these young writers. And then we also had Leanne O'Sullivan, who published her first collection of poetry before she was even 20 um, and won an award for it. She's really a stunning, stunning writer. Um, so I think she's two collections of poetry now, and she's on her third and she closed the festival for us, and she, she did just a gorgeous reading of some of her poetry. And that's who we're going to be hearing right now. Yes. The Cord. I used to lie on the floor for hours after school, with the phone cradled between my shoulder and my ear, a plate of cold rice to my left, my school books to my right. Twirling the cord between my fingers, I spoke to friends who recognized the language of our realm, Throats and lungs swollen, we talked into the heart of the night, toying with the idea of hair dye and suicide, about the boys who didn't love us, who we loved too much, the pang of the nights. Each sentence was new territory, a door someone was rushing into, the glass shattering with delirium, with knowledge and fear. My mother never complained about the phone bill, what it cost for her daughter to disappear behind a door, watching the cord stretching its muscle away from her. Perhaps she thought it was the only way she could reach me, sending me away to speak in the underworld. As long as I was speaking, she could put my ear to the tenuous earth, allow me to listen, to decipher. And these were the elements of my mother, the earthed wire, the burning cable, as if she flowed into the room with me to somehow say, stay where I can reach you, the dim room, the dark earth. Speak of this, and when you feel removed from it, I will pull the cord and take you back towards me. That was Leanne O'Sullivan reading The Cord, which was recorded live. Music is very, very important, and... What you try to do is a combination of contemporary and traditional music or contemporary music that in some way honors traditional music but takes it to a new place. Would that be fair? Yeah, we are known for music at home. I think literature and music are probably the th the, the two things that people most associate with Ireland. I think visual artists have had a bad rap. They didn't get the, the same sort of notoriety that um, musicians and writers did. But we do have traditional uh, musicians come in. Given the specific sort of scope of my organisation, if we do bring in a trad musician, it will be somebody like Kivina Rahali, who is a trad fiddler, but also 
is very interested in composing trad music in a way that sort of pushes the genre forward. So he takes influences from jazz and he takes influences from punk and he takes influences from other trad forms in other countries. And in the case of someone like Julie Feeney, she's a classically trained musician who's sung for the National Chamber Choir and has composed for our National Symphony Orchestra. But she melts that with pop. So you you get this very unique sound from her where it's it's clear that a, a real composer and musician was at the back of these melodies. There's all of these complex rhythm and key changes that occur in her songs that they sound deceptively simple because she, she puts just, just very frothy, silly, lovely lyrics beside this music and to create something really special and fun. What are we going to hear from Julie Feeney? This was her, her first big track of her second album. This is Impossibly Beautiful from her album Pages. You're possibly beautiful Is that cause I'm waiting? Is that cause I'm looking? Who's it just cause you are? You don't play the love game of toxic love But trading love for beauty The winning of Will you ever wish you knew What a spell you cast And maybe it's a beauty You'll always have Cause you're impossibly Is that cause I'm looking or is it just cause you are? You're impossibly beautiful. Is that cause I'm waiting? Is that cause I'm looking or is it just cause you are? You're impossibly beautiful. Is that cause I'm waiting? Is that cause I'm looking or is it just cause you are? You're impossibly And it's beautiful. (laughs) It is. And Julie is beautiful. Julie is also a a fashion icon at home. And she's she's beloved by designers. She's constantly in some gorgeous new outfit. She looks great in everything. You also have a film festival. We do. And we are now uh, the largest Irish film festival in the US. There's quite a few Irish film festivals in the US, which is a testament to how strong Irish cinema is. We run for 10 days uh, in early December and I am quite passionate about making sure that we have a good mix of features and documentaries um, and in shorts I like to make sure that there's animation and particularly for me I love the Irish language so I'm always very passionate about having Irish language involved in in the festival as much as possible because it's easy for Americans because there's subtitles so it's not like you know throwing it at them at the theatre where they, they have no way to figure out what's going on. Um, and, and wonderful, wonderful films are being made at the moment in the Irish language. And we're actually going to hear a clip from a film that is in Irish and English. Irish, English and Chinese. <laughs> it's called uh, Yu Ming Sanam Dum, uh, which translates to Yu Ming is my name. And it's this lovely short about this Chinese man who's sick of life in China and decides he's going to move to Ireland. And being a diligent student, he decides he's going to go learn the Irish language properly before he comes to Ireland, only to discover when he comes to Ireland that nobody speaks any Irish. So he's wandering around Dublin and trying to speak Irish to people and thinking that it's all his fault that they don't understand his accent or Maybe he's pronouncing words wrong. No, I'm sorry. Don't understand anything you're saying. What do you want to drink? 
Guinness. Huh? It's good. It's Irish. Huh? Until he's taken under the wing of a, of a gentleman who lets him know that in Dublin they don't necessarily speak Irish anymore, but there's still some other parts of the country where they do. Call this on him, bitch. You mean? You mean it's on him, dumb? How did May and May on chin? In ye? August, lowly until Glelga. Don't me on tanga ma, but what lum vague mahoney in erin. Ah, never quit Gaelic ma. Ni higgin ain't ye caught a derum. Sean, two points, please. Yeah, yeah. Here, did you know that El Paddy could speak Chinese? But I really like the film because it sort of relates to, to Ireland on many levels nowadays. It, number one, it introduces the, the new communities we're living in Ireland. Ireland now has significant Polish, uh, Nigerian, Chinese communities who are now all part of what it means to be Irish. They're, they're now, they now have a voice in, in sort of this new making of Irish identity. Um, and it obviously also deals with our own sort of awkward past with our Irish language. It's an amazing thing that's been happening some of these new communities have embraced the Irish language in a way that Irish people didn't. The Nigerian communities like set up a special centre so that these new Nigerian immigrants into Ireland could learn Irish so that they could sort of assimilate their children into the school system faster because you do have to learn Irish. But I think it's astounding that these adults are like taking the time to go learn Irish when the average Irish person walking down the street would probably have less of a, an understanding of the language than they, they do. And then, as though that isn't enough, you have something called Project Brand New. Well, actually, I, I can't take the credit for Project Brand New. So Project Brand New have been coming in this year as part of our theatre season. And Project Brand New is actually a festival in Dublin that promotes the creation of new work. And they're tied to the Project Arts Centre in Dublin. And we used to do a play reading series each year that would focus on a different theatre company at home and the work that they commissioned primarily because I get asked a lot how, how come there are so many new playwrights coming out of Ireland and of such amazing quality. Because when you think about it, Ireland has a population of 5 million people, which is tiny. And then the arts community is smaller again. But if, if you start thinking about playwrights, there's more of them than you can shake a stick at. So when I started thinking for this season about how I wanted to sort of focus on how work gets made at home I, I thought of Project Brand New because they're very much about eschewing the traditional playwright sitting at a desk writing his script and then at a certain point bringing it into the theatre where the director takes over they champion devised work or pulling texts from different sources and kind of working through those with actors they champion multimedia approaches so they have a very diverse range of shows that, that they bring about in each cycle of their festival in Dublin and they're also shown at different stages of development to the audiences because Project Brand New is very much about uh, audience feedback they make comment curtains and after each show they ask the audience to seek out the artist and tell them what they thought worked or didn't work and the work develops as a result of that so it's very much giving the audience ownership over the work that gets made which I find intriguing and fascinating Linda you present a lot of work do you have a particular favourite? I think my favourite event, it, it probably is Irish Book Day. It's a logistical nightmare. But in the aftermath of it, the, the flood of emails and phone calls and notes that we get from people who were suspicious about somebody handing them out a book at a metro stop, but who then went home and read said book, 
and maybe hadn't read a book in a very long time and sort of remembered how much they loved reading, there's a lovely satisfaction that comes from that. And, and knowing that somebody's discovered a new writer for the first time and that they're now probably going to go and, and buy three more of their books, that, that's a lovely sense of accomplishment. How many books will you give out? Last year it was 10,000. Uh, this year in D.C. there will be 15 and I think there will be another 10 in New York. Yeah. <laughs> it's madness. It's pure madness. <laughs> but it sounds like a splendid madness. It, it is. It is. There, there's no controlling the day. And what I have learned is that every single day is different. We've now, this is our sixth year doing it in a row and they haven't been the same twice. So you, you keep thinking you've covered every eventuality until something else comes up at you and then you realise, no, <laughs> I'll never understand this day. <laughs> For me, it's a really nice way to celebrate my national holiday. Linda Murray, thank you so much. You're welcome. Loyal Aphoric. Happy St. Patrick's Day. That was Linda Murray. She's the artistic director of Solus Nua which presents contemporary Irish art to audiences in the United States. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. We thank all the artists who created the work we excerpted in this program. It was all used courtesy of Solus Nua. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at www.arts.gov. And now you can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on Beyond Campus and look for the National Endowment for the Arts. Next week, National Medal of Arts recipient, designer Milton Glazier. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.